Women Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Hello, this is Robin. I'm with Cheryl today. And do you know there are so many Christian women with fascinating stories, whether missionaries, musicians, reformers, authors, or wives and mothers, and their examples are inspirational to us all. This is why we have one of our most inspiring women, Michelle Yule. She's a brilliant, wonderful, amazing biographer, but also she's our friend. And we have learned so much from her over the years. We wanted you to have the chance to. Well, I have to say, too, too, when um, you did BD um, uh, yes. Chambers, that was like one of my favorites. I yes. just that was, I was Oswald Chambers. Yes, Chelsea I was. Book. Yes, I was, you know, just fascinated by that. But I'd already read the book, but hearing Michelle do it. Um, it was just like amazing, but I want to hear more about Letty. So now yes. we're going to get to the, this is after she wrote streams in the desert and she's back from Japan. So tell us. Well, I actually would like to start by saying all of you who write for your church newsletters, you do not know how far that information is going to go because Letty Kalman traveled around talking and raising funds for the Oriental Missionary Society for most of her adult life. And while she was visiting churches, she'd pick up the church bulletin, she'd take it home, and she would look at these stories or these prayers or these ideas that people would write. She'd cut them out and put them in a, an envelope. I opened one of these envelopes when I was doing the research and all these pieces of paper flew up in the air and I just laughed because she took those little snippets of clippings of, of newsletters, magazines, um, church bulletins, and she compiled them together. And that is part of what is Streams in the Desert and all the other um, books that she wrote. So don't think that what you're writing is insignificant because you never really know. <laughs> you know, I feel a little guilt now because I do that, but it's always with recipes. Well, sure, of course. My mom and I, you know, every time we go to a church, we would look to see if they had a recipe book. Because my mom said nobody cooks better than church ladies. That's true. <laughs> the best casseroles in the world. But I've done that with uh, recipes and, you know, scour every church that I, I get to attend. But I love that, that that's how it came. That's really fascinating. Nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted. Love it. Nothing. And nothing is insignificant. And that is yes. really part of what the lesson is here, that mm -hmm. we think that we're not doing anything of significance to God. And yet no one knows and you don't know how far a simple word you might say will go into someone else's life and heal them. So, yes, amen to that. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about Streams in the Desert. Letty wrote that during the agony, what she called my personal Gethsemane of her husband's slow death from angina. Uh, for over seven years, and Streams in the Desert came out of the things that she read to encourage him, the clippings that she had pulled out of bulletins over the years to encourage her. And that's partly why the book is so strong. It's a very different, uh, it's not one voice through all those devotionals. She's got other voices going on along with the scripture passages, and it speaks to you wherever you are it's in true. your life. And it's that's true. the strength of Streams in the Desert. Um, her husband died about four months, well, maybe five or six months after Streams was published in 1924. Neither one thought that book was of any value. And yet the first edition, which was 3,000 copies, sold out almost immediately, and they couldn't keep the book in production. It, it was a self-published um, production, basically. She went into total um, grief when Charles died. He had been her whole life. They had no children, probably because of her health. And then she lost him, and she just struggled, as anyone would struggle, 
trying to come to terms with she'd spent seven years at his bedside, and now he was gone. Um, after about eight or nine months, they needed her to go back out to do some deputation tours to raise some money. So off she went to England by herself. Now, she lives in Hollywood, so she had to take a train all the way across the United States, 1925, and then catch a boat by herself in New York, go all the way to London, and then speak. Now, she had done a lot of speaking, of raising funds for the Oriental Missionary Society, but this was the first time she'd gone alone. And, ladies men, whomever, she had never packed her own suitcase. Oh my <laughs> goodness. And all that traveling, all that living abroad. That's surprising. That is really, really interesting. So she was in some ways emotionally helpless and also physically helpless. You know, her health was so-so. And then the travel stuff is just pro- pro- large. Mm. anyway. But she went to friends in England and she spoke in churches. And the first church she spoke in, the hymn they sang before she got up to speak, was his favorite hymn. Mm. She felt that God was just blessing her and encouraging her. The scriptures that she was speaking on, her favorite scriptures. And she got blessed, and she started meeting people all over England as she traveled. And when she came back, she was feeling much better. She finished writing her husband's biography, Missionary Warrior, just in the nick of time, because Charles had been um, succeeded as the president of the Oriental Missionary Society by his good friend Ernest Kilborn. Mm-hmm. And Ernest Kilborn sent her a message and said, you've got to get back here. We have a big board meeting. She was the vice president still, the only woman on the board of trustees, and we need you. She trained from wherever she was back to Hollywood, got there. They had the meeting, and Ernest Kilborn died a month later. Mm-hmm. No really? sign that he was ill or anything other than tired. So and, um, amazing. Who was going to become the next president? Well, everyone else was busy, and they chose Letty. Yes. So she <laughs> became the first women, woman president of an international missionary society that I've been able to find. There may be someone I didn't find, but that was her. She was put into this role, a woman educated at a, through McGuffey Readers in Iowa, never been to college, extremely well-read in scripture, a good speaker. She took charge. Whoa, isn't that exciting? That yes. is. We love it. You know, I love that. <laughs> Who God calls, God equips. Yes. He totally, and her, her management style was different, as you would expect. She was a woman, not a man. And um, she had women who helped her. She was not good with finances. Um, so they gave her a financial secretary who kept her on track. But she would go off and pray every morning, several hours a day, the same thing, praying, searching scripture, singing hymns, allowing hymns to speak back and forth to her heart. And if there were any questions about things to do in the office, they all went to prayer. On Wednesdays, Mm -hmm. they prayed for three hours together as a group. OMS still does that. Even now, they get together on Wednesdays and they pray or they hear a speaker. It's It's the foundation of all of the work in the ministry they did. Um, she had no children, so she was very interested in her missionaries, who at that point were in Japan, Korea, and China, and, um, and felt a need to, to visit them as required. She hadn't traveled really other than that England trip that broke the, ga- the, the ice of her grief, and off she went. Um, in the 1930s, she was in China, where <clears throat> the... Um, Headquarters had switched, shifted to Shanghai. Shanghai, China, in the early 1930s, was a, a port in chaos. Um, most of the missionaries were fleeing China because of the Civil War beginning to break out. Mm-hmm. OMS settled down. They built a Bible school, and they began training um, missionaries in China. Amazing. 
She um, traveled there because most of her um, board of trustee members were stationed on the mission field in the Far East. So off she went. And someone described how even though chaos was going around, their, their missionary compound burned. She came to visit. They rented two houses. She stayed in the house with the families with children. And every morning, she was the first one up with her devotions and began the morning playing the piano and singing at full voice because... She wanted to encourage, and what better way as a leader to encourage than to show up and tell them God is with you. Mm. And even better if they're already awake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about that proverb that says he who sings, you know, loudly in the morning will be considered a curse to his neighbor. (laughs) Good thing she could sing. Good thing, yes. That's a relief. But, you know, picture the situation. Shanghai is in an uproar. There are threatenings. People have been beheaded. The stamps have been beheaded. That's right. They'd lost their homes. Um, There was uncertainty about everything. They're in a hostile country because they're Westerners. They stand out. And then this white-haired woman sits down and pounds on the piano and rouses them with praises to God. And one of the women said, I don't think she was ever discouraged. She had these visions. She had faith and prayer. And for her, the prayer granted her the visions into reality, Mm. and there she was. Mm. So um, in 1936, she was back from her trip to the Far East, after which, of course, the doctor had proclaimed her too too ill to ever travel again. Um, She was uncertain. She was uh, 66 years old, I think. I mean, she's, she's getting older, and yet here she is leading this organization, and um, she prayed and asked God to heal her. She stood up to pray, and at a to talk at a church gathering not far from her home, she had a companion, a nurse, who sat behind her with a hypodermic needle ready to get after her if something happened. And as she prayed, yes, she spoke about the Oriental Mission, sorry, the missions movement, the need to love God, the strength returned. Mm. And, oh. and they never needed the hypodermic needle. That's <laughs> so fantastic. Off she went. Um, in 1936, she got an invitation from Reese Howells, who is the president of the Bible College of Wales. Reese Howells is known as an intercessor, a profound intercessor. That's right. He's in for the Welsh Revival, too. Yes. He came out of the Welsh Revival, and that Bible uh, College of Wales prayed for the English government and the country of England every night of World War II from 7 in the evening till midnight for Mm. four and a half years. And look, England is still standing. They said that the Blitz was the really profound moment, praying them through the Blitz, those difficult nights. And then also I heard that there's a whole backstory about um, Dunkirk, about Mm -hmm. um, the people praying. um, Absolutely. That Mm -hmm. had to do with the success of Dunkirk, being able to save those young men, which, I mean, so yes, I love this. So she got this invitation from Reese Howell. So off she goes, walk across the train, across the country. And she's not supposed to because she's supposed to be too ill to do this. Well, theoretically, but she believes she was healed. Um, Mm -hmm. She's been sailing with the same group of people going to the 1936 Olympic Games to see Jesse Owens take down Hitler, right? Wow. (laughs) Or if only. Mm -hmm. And uh, she gets to Wales and Reese Howell says, I'm going to have you preach the keynote all five nights of the conference. Wow. It's from around the world, every creature campaign or every creature conference. And just tell the story of what happened with the Great Village campaign, how the Holy Spirit led you guys to pass out all this um, material. So at the end of this conference, which is a roaring success, Howell says to her, God has something more for you to do. I want you to go to your room and pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to do. We'll bring you meals. We've got a doctor if you need one. You can walk in the garden and play the piano as much as you want, but you need to find out what God wants you to do. 
Well, again, as I said last week, <clears throat> she would pray for hours on end. She, the scriptures would come alive. She'd see something. She'd be singing and praying the, playing the piano and praising God. And then some line would come out, and she'd say, ah. Now, maybe you two know that as well. When you're studying scripture, you're like, all right, Lord, what's up with this? And you're reading on. You're thinking, well, this story has nothing to do with me. But then one line says, mm-hmm. oh, Michelle, exactly. take a look here. Can we point at this? This is important. Yes. And um, she got a scripture that said, you will go out and speak to the nations. All wow. Nations. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's what you do. Okay, Lord, this is a very interesting idea, but what does it mean? So she decided to join, um, go to the chapel. It was a Sunday morning, and um, the missionary speaking spoke on that passage of Scripture. Oh, of course. I love it when the Lord does that. Yep. <laughs> I know. And, and the best yeah. part about this is here she is in her 60s, as you said earlier. 66. 66. And there's someone saying, you need to see what God wants you to do There's next. more. Yes. There's, there's more. more. You're not done yet. There's more. I and love that. What a message. For all of us, us in our 60s. That's wonderful. Right. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, your 20s, you mm-hmm. really were productive, but now just stay home and pray. Right. No, it's like, what does, and maybe mm-hmm. that is what God wants you to do, but this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Keep going. No, it's absolutely true. And that's part of her, why her story is so powerful for women is just because you're in the mid sixties doesn't mean God isn't done with you. This isn't time to sit back and knit. It might be for some people. <laughs> yes. But, you know, and you've lost your husband and everyone's telling you you're too sick to do anything. What does God want you to do? Exactly. Absolutely. And he may birth within you, maybe something casual, maybe something someone says that will change the world, because that is what happened with her. The verse is out of Jeremiah 1.5. All right, both of you, can you quote me Jeremiah 1.5? No. Apparently not. <laughs> it says, I sanctified thee, and I adore, ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. On earth, does that, you can see, you, the three mm-hmm. of us, what would that mean to me, God? I'm going to be a prophet to the nations. I'm just sitting here in my house in California. So um, afterwards, you know, Howells is like, praise God. We'll see what this leads to. She goes out walking in the garden, admiring the flowers. She loved roses. And a couple come up to her from Finland and say, we need you to come and do a great village campaign in Finland. And she's like, well, you know, maybe God will do that. No, we need you to come now. Well, this is like August in Wales, and they're talking about the fall in Finland, and she's from Los Angeles area. Well, someone gives her a coat, someone gives her money, someone gives her a plane, or not a plane ticket, a, 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 well, the, the um, captain of the ship, the, the Finnish couple are riding on, gives her a stateroom, and off she goes. Wow. And Cheryl, you talked about what a wild trip this was, because a huge storm That's right. blew up in, the, in mm-hmm. the Bay of Bosnia. It should have been a four-day trip. It took them... I think almost two weeks to get there because the storm, all sorts of ships went down and everyone on the sick, ship is sick except Letty, who's playing the piano and singing at the top of her voice and <laughs> leading the cook to the Lord. And, yeah, <laughs> and then they land in Finland and she's in her element because the jetty's been washed away. So she has to climb down, you know, a rope ladder and into a ship and then they're off. They start preaching the next day. And she, um, she, led the speaking of what turned out to be a revival of a gospel campaign that Mm. started in Finland, went to Sweden, Estonia, Latvia, into parts of Russia, um, Lithuania, Poland, uh, Czechoslovakia, Mm. and ended in Romania. Ultimately, she wasn't there for the whole thing when Hitler began to march Mm. through. This was the final gospel campaign in Eastern Europe for 40 years. Wow. 
It was wow. Uh-huh. when the curtain came down again. But that was the only gospel people had for very many years, whatever they got in that tract. Oh, uh-huh. And how many people are in, in uh-huh. heaven today because of that? Yes. Because of this woman who went to pray or to speak or whom God raised up. Lots of stories out of that. Um, she ended up meeting Prince Farouk. She ended up meeting with Haile Selassie, who was the deposed emperor of Abyssinia. And she was the only person in England. She met him in, in Bath, England. This was right before the war began. He had been deposed. <clears throat> he was in exile. She was, he said, you're the only person who came to me and spoke about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, presented the gospel, which he knew because he was an Abyssinian Christian, but she gave him hope and faith, and then she gave him a word from the Lord. You will be returned to the mm-hmm. throne. You can de- conclude anything you want about Haile Selassie. His, his throne, he was returned to the throne within a couple of years, and he went on. But she was the only person who spoke the truth to him, the gospel to him. He was being shunned by the British government because he was an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. But she brought Jesus, and that was what was most important. Um, yes. She comes back to America. Her entire board of trustees is now, are now in POW camps in um, China and yeah, China and some in Korea, perhaps, because they got caught up in the Second World War in the Far East. And can't even imagine everybody. Yeah. And here she imagine. is. Yeah. 60 some odd year old uh, woman. She's now the leader of an organization. They've come through the depression because remember, there wouldn't be a lot of money during the depression. Right. She's published a couple more books. Consolation, because so many people died during World War Two. Consolation mm-hmm. was a bestseller because it spoke to the grief that people had mothers, fathers, sisters, husbands, maybe not husbands, wives, you know, whatever. Um, Consolation, she just wrote right to that. But she came back from Europe with the Great Village Campaign, and she took it to the world because it was a prophet to the nations, that Jeremiah passage. So she did gospel, trans, you know, um, hands-outs, campaigns in Cuba, and then all through South America. In Mexico City, that was when a little girl came up and gave her a peso, and she took that as meaning God wants us to keep working. Um, they... Um, in the middle of the war, she got this word that they were supposed to go to South America, maybe set up a Bible school. Well, her and all of her people aren't here, but she she had some other um, businessmen who were working with her, and they went scouting and came back and said, well, Medellin, Colombia? Um, and, you know, they're praying about this. The people, Some of the people in the East are released. They come back, and one of them had had a word, a member of the Board of Trustees, yeah, I think we're supposed to go to South America. So down they went, to, she sent the men back to scout. They found a per- perfect piece of land, but they had to pay for it within 24 hours. Well, what are you supposed to do with this? Letty's at home I'm in Hollywood. They're here, and they prayed, and then they wired back. We need $20,000 by tomorrow. Which is a huge oh, amount yes. then. Mm-hmm. 1944, I think the year was. Well, two weeks before this, Letty had been praying in Scripture, and... Um, came in to her financial secretary and said, I want you to empty the coffers of the streams in the desert account and send it all to South America to my men. <laughs> and the financial secretary mm. is looking at her thinking, you're 74 years old. I wonder if you really know what you mean. It, she doesn't say this, but that's what she's thinking. So she thinks, I'll just kind of wait on this because there's a lot of money in that account. Um, Letty comes back and says, did you send that money? I'll get to it after lunch. After lunch comes, and she looks at it and thinks, I better send it. And it arrived two weeks later, the wow. day. Of course it did. Needed the money. Wow. It did. Wow. They went into their mailbox, and look, there's four checks for $5,000. Wow. I think we're buying a Bible school. Wow. And um, 
that Bible school is still running in Medellin. It may be the largest in South America, maybe not, but it's a it's one of the uh, important mm-hmm. ones in Medellin, Colombia, even now. And they flew her down. It was the first airplane flight of her life. Mm-hmm. What seventy eight years old? They flew her down, and she was there for the op- grand opening. And they called that Mantielas de los uh, something rather in desierto. Um, built because of streams in the desert, mm-hmm. streams in the desert, many. And um, she, all of the um, royalties from all of her devotionals went right back into missions work. She lived a simple life, and um, it was dedicated, the money went to whatever God led her to do. And um, she stepped down after 20 years and lived the last 10 years of her life in Burbank, Glendale area, and died, as I said, on Easter Sunday, 1960, at the age of 90. Pretty good for a woman with a ticky heart, right? <laughs> that that is just so amazing, and I love the fact that that she kept going. That you know she wasn't daunted. You know, I think about how many things put us off, like oh, well, you know, I don't feel good, or you know, this ship. Uh, can we just turn it around? You know, I'm not going to go to Finland. You know, or <laughs> the way down is on a rope. I don't do ropes. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I don't. I, I think of all the things that I get daunted by, and we often conclude if it's hard, it must not be the Lord. Wrongly not conclude. Not wrongly true. conclude yes, that though. Yes. Um, I know a lot of people that that's part of their you know, um, way of, uh, deciding on the, mm-hmm. the will of the Lord. But I love that she went undaunted. Yep. Off she went. Yeah. She was a good friend of Biddy, Biddy, um, Chambers. So it was no. fun for me to run into yes. Biddy's books in her library. Um, they corresponded and sent each other their books and it was like, ah, oh, Biddy is here in the library. <laughs> of course. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Fun. And it's all just a blessing and so important that we remember that God is not done with us. As where there's life, there is hope, and he will use us all the way to the end. And uh, don't discount yourself in any way, shape, or form. And also the way she continually encouraged herself. You know, you cannot mm-hmm. encourage others until you are encouraged by the Lord. And, you know, even those little, you know, snippets that she uh, gathered for streams in the desert, those would later even minister to her. Um, again, these are the promises of God that he is, that he has given me. Therefore, now when I appropriate them, then I can give them to others. Amen. Exactly. And there's such a beauty there in the way that she felt the nudge of the Lord. The Holy Spirit was saying, empty the coffers, do this, send the money to South America. And it didn't make sense. And how many times in our lives has the Holy Spirit prompted us and we said, well, we'll just kind of wait for a sign or we'll just mm-hmm. kind of test mm-hmm. it or see if somebody else asks us to do it. But that's the faith when we hear these stories that we see God blessing in such an abundance. Now, I want to know what was Charles Kalman's favorite hymn? I can't remember. Mm, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. But it was a classic hymn, whatever it was. But mm-hmm. it- it just matched whatever she was speaking on. And that happens all the time. I mean, I'm sure that happens to you. Too. It does. Oh, and look at that. You know what I love, too, though, is like we tend to see how um, small it, uh, the world is, the, the connections God makes. You know, she's out moody and we're like, oh, I know that, you know, I know that. And, you know, the story of Emma Moody or, you know, she's meeting uh, B.D. 
um, chambers. We're like, oh, we know Beatty. And, and, you know, Reese Howell. Oh, I know Reese Howell from this revival. And just how the Lord connects his people together to love and to affirm and to encourage each other. And I think that's what we're finding, that Christianity is really a network where we're all meant to, you know, almost our lives are woven together to encourage one another, to affirm one another, to bless one another. I love these friendships that develop from uh, from knowing Jesus, you know, having that faith and that love for Jesus in common. I have to know what's the next project. Not clear yet unless I get to write about Fanny Crosby as a young for girls. We'll see, won't we? We yes. would love that. That would be fantastic. Yes. You know, we we also featured her, but um, that would be great to have you because I know you're um, very detail oriented, and so are mm-hmm. Robin and I. And sometimes we do, the, you know, a flyover on these podcasts of some of these women. But when we come back and we're able to get some of the details, I think it makes them more accessible, more relatable. We fall in love. Yes. All right. Well, we're out of time, but we want to thank you listeners and those who are now watching us. Thank you for joining us um, today. And we want you to know, what do we want them to know, Robin? That God wants to work in you to make you a woman worth knowing. That's right. Amen. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not-so-well-known Christian women in history. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.